Okay, if we could start. When we left on Wednesday, we started talking about B cells in as much details as we were talking about with T cells before the, the test. Right, I'll have the test back by Monday or maybe Wednesday, right? but definitely before ad drop. So, we talked about B cells, we talked about uh, sort of differentiation of B cells, B cells leading to uh, plasma cells, B cells leading to memory cells, looking at memory responses yesterday. Today let's look at a little more detail in B cells and how B cells sort of fit into the humoral response, right? How B cells fit into their ability to release antibody molecules so that those antibody molecules are going to participate in the right and sort of the signaling of the pathogen as it binds to the pathogen and it's going to subject that pathogen to destruction by other cells of the immune system so we've talked about this the binding of antigen right to a membrane immunoglobulin on the B cell is that initiating event in B cell activation right this is the whole idea behind right the differentiation of the B cell and clonal expansion of the B cell and the B cell leading towards a plasma cell or a memory cell. Okay? So we'll go into a little bit more detail about this today. So antigen binding is going to cause that non-dividing cell to enter the cell cycle and expand. Right? That's the whole thing about clonal selection. That membrane immunoglobulin, that antigen receptor on the surface is going to recognize that epitope. That B cell is going to be stimulated. Right? That's going to be exposed to what's known as a mitogen. Now, we're going to give the definition mitogen any substance that non-specifically induces DNA synthesis and cell division. So we've already talked about this early on when we said it was a that certain substances are polyclonal B cell activators. We're just going to give that polyclonal B cell activator a new term. We're going to call it a mitogen. So there are a whole bunch of different mitogens out there. We've talked about LPS as a mitogen. And there's a whole bunch of other plant-derived, right? Cane is a mitogen from concanavalin A. Pokeweed mitogen from the plant pokeweed. You've probably seen pokeweed on the side of the road. It's, a, it's just a, uh, it's an invasive sort of a weed. And again, why should we have B cells responding to you know, to different antigens from plants. You could argue, well, maybe it has something to do with allergy, but really the reason is because when people first isolated B cells and people were first isolating the cells of the immune system, they would basically throw any sort of chemical that was lying around the laboratory to see if they could see differences in the responses between, say, B cells and T cells, and these were different chemicals in laboratories that people found could induce right, just nonspecific cell division of B cells. So it's just another way to be able to look at B cells and chemicals to differentiate between T cells and B cells. So there's a whole bunch of these things that are mitogens. So remember, mitogens have nothing to do with polyclonal B cell activation. Right? Mitogens are only for activating all B cells non-specifically. Right? So all the B cells are going to be affected. Right? So antigen binds to cells with varying degrees, and it can result in a greater or a lesser expansion of the cell. 
So if you have a, uh, if you have a antibody molecule on the surface of the B cell that's going to be able to recognize the epitope, right, and we're going to have those binding sort of activities that we talked about before, right, three-dimensional shape is going to be able to fit into the CDR3 areas. Then the van der Waals forces and all the other molecular forces can take place. So that binding with varying degrees is going to result in a greater or a lesser expansion of the cells themselves. If we're talking about the humoral response, and the B cells are clearly the major cells of the vertebrate humoral response, right, the ability of those cells to be able to release the antibody molecules, right? we have a whole bunch of things that are going to affect the humoral response. So the first one, the major one, are going to be the types of cytokines that are going to be produced. And the types of cytokines that are going to be produced are clearly coming from the T helper cells as those B cells are going to present right, those antigenic peptides on the surface of their cells in, in context with MHC class II molecules. So, those T cell receptors on the CD4 positive T cells are going to be able to recognize the antigen. The T cells themselves are going to become stimulated. They're going to release cytokines and deliver help right, to those B cells. So, here's the MHC, and this is clearly right, that immunoglobulin, the antigen receptor on the surface. If this is a B cell, T cell with the T cell receptor, T helper cell, help, and that help is going to be cytokines. All right, we talked about a few of them. This could be IL-4, IL-5, IL-6, right, to stimulate that B cell in hope that, right, now we know what's going to take place here, right? We're going to get polyclonal B cell expansion, and eventually, so let me make this a dotted line, we're going to end up with a plasma cell that's going to just start releasing lots and lots, <laughs> it's not the sun, it's going to be released, lots and lots of different anti, not different, but lots and lots of antibody molecules, or right, the same sort of derivation from here, this is going to turn into a memory B cell going to make its way to lymph nodes and start to reside in those germinal centers. Yike, right? Our sort of explanation of what's been going on here is starting to expand a whole lot, right? Before we had only talked about this taking place. Now we're talking about this taking place so that, right, if we come back here to our bacteria, and whatever that epitope is on the surface of that bacteria, with all its little bacterial friends out there, these antibodies are going to make their way. I think we're going to run out of blackboard pretty soon. So that now, right, FC receptors on the surface of our bean-shaped nucleus friend, macrophages, are going to be able to engulf, destroy, present MHC class 2 on the surface, stimulate more T cells, T cells are going to release cytokines, these cytokines, right? We're going to have all this sort of stuff going on, right? 
you can really start to put things together now, right? You can really start to see how this is all coming together. I hope. I hope you can see how this is all coming together, right? So it's all going to come down to, just like we had that picture before, right, where we showed all those different blue lines and all those different cytokines being able to stimulate a whole bunch of different cells with cytokines being the intracellular messengers of the immune system. It's all going to come down to the cytokines, the effect of the B cells, right? If we're going to lead to class switching, if we're going to be able to push this B cell into differentiation, if we're going to be able to push this, D this B cell somehow towards making a memory cell, right? All these things are going to be able to take place. This information was experimentally gathered over many, many years of research that came by. As it turns out, the stimulation of B cells by T cells led to the discovery of different subclasses of T cells. So, right, we started with, what do we start with here? We started with things that look like lymphocytes. I'm sorry that light is out, so we'll be able to get to that, right? We went to B cells. We've already talked about right, B cells with B1 B cells and splenic B cells. If we go to T cells, so far all we've talked about are T helper cells and cytotoxic T cells, right? CD8 positive cells and CD4 positive cells. With this research looking at B cells, we can now start to break down these T helper cells into Th1, Th2, Th17. It's like, oh, well, what happened to Th3, 4, 5, 6, 7? Well, we got reasons for that. And then there's a whole, almost, there's a whole bunch of other types of T cells, right? T cells, follicular T cells, and T helper cells. There's all sorts of other sort of subclasses of T cells that are in the process of being characterized. But for now, Th1, Th2, and Th17 cells, right, are the most characterized of the T helper cell subclasses. So if you look at Th1 cells, right, Th1 cells in general are going to be able to secrete more interleukin-2 and interferon gamma. So when you see interleukin-2, you see interferon gamma, you should immediately start thinking about, well, maybe not, but you should think about cell-mediated responses. Because when those Th1 cells, when those T helper cells of subclass 1 start to secrete interleukin-2, they're going to be able, right, interleukin-2 T cell growth factor, they're going to start to stimulate other T cells and that particular T cell, right, by its autocrine, by its autocrine sort of function and its paracrine function, it's going to be able to stimulate T cells in the area. They're going to start releasing interferon gamma, and if you remember, right, we've talked about interferon gamma, and interferon gamma being, right, if we come over, what are we looking at? What is that? I forget what that is. Oh, wait, what is that? Oh, that's a, no, that's the, yeah, it doesn't matter. If we come over here, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How, how are you supposed to write it down if I don't remember? MHC class 2, and what was that? Oh, cytotoxic T cell. Eh, all right, it's a cytotoxic T cell. So over here, right, if we start secreting interferon gamma, because we're this T cell that's been stimulated, 
Now we're going to start to stimulate more macrophages. So these Th1 cells are the key cells in allowing, right, or potentiating cell-mediated responses. On the other hand, people have identified a Th2 subset of, of T helper cells, and they're going to secrete interleukin-4, interleukin-5, interleukin-10, and interleukin-13. And that's going to stimulate more humoral-mediated responses, meaning it's going to stimulate more B cell, more antibody being released. Because if we're secreting interleukin-4 and interleukin-5, right, there they are. Those are the major proliferative factors for B cells. If we're synthesizing and releasing interleukin-10 and interleukin-13, 10 and 13 are related to each other in that interleukin-10 is one of the major inhibitory cytokines. Interleukin-10 basically sends inhibitory signals to things like macrophages and neutrophils. So we're turning off the cell-mediated response, and we are ramping up the humoral-mediated response. Okay? So that's how we knew about Th1 cells and Th2 cells. So now we come to Th17 cells, right? We've forgotten Th3 to Th16, and it, it's only because, right, the investigators that were looking at Th1 just sort of named their cells Th1, Th2. When it comes to Th17, it was found that a certain subclass of these T cell subsets were secreting lots and lots of interleukin-17. So that's why they were called Th17 cells. Really, they could have been Th3, and then we could have been, right, we just could have used Th3, secretes 17, 12, 23 inflammatory responses. But it's because these investigators decided, oh, well, these cells are secreting Th17, so we'll call them Th17, but they easily could have been Th3 cells, right? So they're going to secrete interleukin-17, interleukin-12, interleukin-23, and these are basically involved with inflammatory responses and responses that will attract neutrophils into the area. So again, right, it's more cell-mediated, Th17 or more cell-mediated, but right, those signals, those cytokines that they are releasing are going to be able to bring right, phagocytes and neutrophils into the area. So the type of cytokines are going to be able to sort of direct the humoral response. If we look at, there are a whole bunch of different sort of T cell subsets, right? There are the follicular TH cells, there's TH1, TH2, TH17, regulatory T cells, right? The different cytokines that each one of them are going to be able to produce. The ability of these cells to be able to be involved with, right? defense against parasitic infections or asthma for Th2s, Th1s, right? Intracellular pathogens for more cellular defense, right? And they're all capable of interacting with each other. They're all capable of, depending upon which of these transcription factors have been activated, right? These are more ways that you can identify these subsets by which, by which transcription factors are activated and how it's forcing these naive cells into differentiation, right? So these cells can basically move back and forth between each other. So if the signals are right, 
right, these Th2 cells could turn into Th1 cells, right, if they're needed at appropriate times. So depending upon the cytokines that are around, right, depending upon other information that's going to be around in the environment, right, if we need to stimulate the cellular immune response, then more of these cells could transform into Th1 cells, right? So there's all this crosstalk, and if you look at the literature, right, at least once every couple of months, people are finding Right, a whole bunch of these new T-cell subsets or characterizing these T-cell subsets. Right, so there's a lot of investigation, there's a lot of interest out there because if we could stimulate, right, if we had some sort of pharmacological agent that could stimulate right, more Th1 cells, we're going to use it as a therapeutic agent, we're going to use it as a drug, so if we add whatever this agent is to stimulate the Th1 cells, Right? We could get more cell-mediated responses. So if we have a parasitic infection or something, right, we may be able to stimulate the immune system to get rid of parasites or other things that are destroyed by the cell-mediated response. If we had a pharmacological agent that could stimulate Th2 cells, right, then we could stimulate antibody production by B cells. So there's a whole lot of interest in these types of subsets. So, the types of cytokines produced are going to be able to have an effect on the humoral response. The site of antigen exposure, right? If the antigen is recognized and brought through the lymph and it's screening through the, through the spleen or the lymph nodes, right, then we can have multiple isotypes. We're probably going to have IgM to start, but then IgG perhaps, as opposed to, right, if oral antigens are where they are, ex they are exposed first, we've talked about this with the Peyer's patches, right, that most of the cells that line the Peyer's patches are going to release IgA, right, so most oral antigens are going to result in the secretion of IgA antibodies by the B cells, and then other activities of the T cells themselves, right, a rapid and larger secondary response. We've talked about this before, right, because remember, interferon gamma is going to put more MHC class II molecules on the surface of those macrophages. They're going to be able to stimulate more T cells. More T cells are going to start to release more cytokines. Those cytokines are going to stimulate B cells, right? We've talked about this. The more T cells there are, well, the more T helper cells, and the more help, the more cytokines that they are releasing, the greater the magnitude of that response is going to be. And then, Right? As this macrophage is getting less and less and less phagocytic or, phagoc or phagocytosing less and less and less bacteria because we're starting to destroy more and more bacteria, then those MHC class II molecules right, get off the surface, we go back to normal, the T cells aren't being stimulated, they're not releasing as much interleukin-2, they're not releasing as much interferon gamma, right? and everything sort of comes back to baseline again. So it all depends on right, the activities of the T cells themselves as well. So we have all these different things that are shaping the humoral response. Okay. So as it turns out, okay. antigen responses can proceed down two different routes. Okay. We've been talking about the major sort of route, right? We've been talking about what are known as thymus dependent antigens, right, or TD antigens. An antigen that is dependent on T helper cells in order to induce or potentiate the, the humoral response, right, because of this that's happening right here. 
we've been talking about thymus-dependent antigens. So most all proteins, most all pathogens, most everything that you're thinking about are going to be thymus-dependent antigens. Right? So in terms of those B cells, those are the B1 B cells and the follicular B cells. But there's another type of antigen response route, and these are called thymus-independent antigens. So, I don't know, is, is not telling about something a lie, right? Is revealing something, you know, well, so maybe I've been lying, but really, it's a good lie, because 99% of everything we've been talking about are thymus-dependent. Right? Now that we know all sorts of stuff, right, we can start to look at sort of little things that are still present as part of the immune response, but aren't as routinely characterized or there as the other part of the immune response, right? So, thymus dependent, right? That B cell, right, is going to internalize, put that MAC class II molecule with that, ant with that peptide on the surface, those T helper cells, right? That's why it's thymus dependent, because we're, we're dependent on the cells from the thymus, right? So, thymus independent antigen. A thymus-independent antigen is an antigen that doesn't require the presence of the T helper cells in order to induce the humoral response. Okay? These antigens that B cells are going to be able to recognize right, are not easily processed and presented. If you remember from the first week or so of school, right, we were talking about what makes a good antigen. Right? We said a, a large protein that's able to be that's able to be phagocytosed, right? Now you know why a large antigen that's able to be phagocytosed, right? If you think back to that first, well, maybe it wasn't the first, maybe it was like the second or the third lecture, and we talked about what made a good antigen. Now I think, you know, if you go back and look at that, you'll see that everything we've been talking about in terms of phagocytosis and presentation dealt with, right? Large protein, easily degradable. So, these thymus-independent antigens aren't as easily processed and presented. They're basically going to be able to cross-link membrane immunoglobulin, leading to activation without T cells. Thymus-independents, most of them are polyclonal B cell activators. They're mitogens like LPS. And these are mediated by the marginal zone, those B2 B cells that we were talking about. So if you think about what a thymus-independent antigen is, a thymus-independent antigen is a long chain, it's an antigen that's made up of long chain and repeating subunits. So on this particular polysaccharide molecule, right, we have this repeating subunits of this polysaccharide molecule. The other thing that this could be, right, this could be a nucleic acid. Right? It could be DNA. So this molecule is so big right, that we are engaging multiple, right, multiple epitopes on the surface of the B cell by multiple antigen receptors. Okay? This is not what we've been talking about. Right? We've been talking about internalizing these things. Here, we are starting to cross-link and we're looking at right, activation by the I'm going to skip to this one, right? What we're looking at is antigen interaction with membrane immunoglobulin, right? 
can result in cross-linking of the receptors and clustering, right? We've been talking about cross-linking of the receptors. Here, we're talking about, right, sort of during a normal sort of interaction of a antigen of an antigen receptor recognizing an antigen, right? We're going to be able to engulf it through phagocytosis if we're the B cell. We can also induce B cells to be stimulated via the B cell antigen receptor on the surface by, right, perhaps adding antibody fragments. Here we're going to add an FAB that's going to be able to recognize, right, the variable region of this immunoglobulin molecule, right? Nothing's going to take place here, right, because we're not getting cross-linking. On the other hand, if we use an FAB prime, right, FAB prime 2, that is going to contain both arms of the FAB, then this B cell will be activated because we're looking at this cross-linking that's going to be able to take place, this clustering that can take place. And here, we get even a stronger signal because we're going to use, right, a, a, an antibody molecule that's going to be able to recognize, right, epitopes on that FAB prime 2, so we're going to get even a stronger result. We're not really sure how this clustering works. People will say, oh, well, the reason this works is because when this takes place, right, when this, let's say, right, this, clearly nothing's going to happen here, but let's look at this FAB prime 2. Right, I've sort of gone ahead one slide, but I really want to make the point of this. If we add this FAB prime 2 and we cross-link this receptor on the surface, the idea is... Oh, well, what happens is some sort of conformational change takes place. It's going to expose residues in the cytosolic part of the cell. That's going to be able for phosphatases and all sorts of other secondary messages inside the cell to recognize these newly exposed areas like those ITAM sequences that we were talking about. And those secondary signals are going to be able to be transduced. So that's sort of the dogma, right? That's everybody's sort of hand-waving, because nobody really knows how this works. The biophysicists, right, our colleagues, the biophysicists, look at this explanation, and they can't stop laughing. Because they're saying, well, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. You got this entire lipid bilayer, right? We've talked about cells that are, we talked about molecules on the surface having this hydrophobic region, right? When you look at, right, the immunoglobulin molecule, what would we say? There were 26 amino acids in there that sort of lock it onto the, onto the surface of the cell. So the biophysicists say, all right, Mr. Smart Guy or Gal, where's all that energy coming from? Right? Just because we bind this together, what so, how much energy is it going to take to be able to, you know, sort of make this twist through that locked-in surface of this transmembrane domain and going to expose something on the inside of the cell, right? If you're a biophysicist, you can figure out how much energy that will take. It takes a lot more energy than, say, you know, this FAB prime 2 molecule cross-linking those two receptors on the cell surface. So clearly, we're not really sure about how the right receptor clustering, right? Everything we've talked about so far, right? Remember we talked about IgM on the surface and bringing, right, with the FC receptors and bringing multiple uh, antigen receptors together. We're not really sure how it works. We just know that 
If we do this, we see something happening on the inside. If we do this, we see something even better, well, not even better, but even stronger happening on the inside. Right. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about clustering. Right? So that's how right, this thymus-independent antigen is going to be capable of transmitting a signal into the interior of that B cell. Because we are now engaging multiple antigen receptors on the surface. So we don't need T cells, we don't need phagocytosis, we don't need anything. We're just able to recognize those epitopes, right? Because remember, if these are repeating short chain, right, sort of pieces to this entire polysaccharide, those antigens are going to be right there on all these little pieces as it's going along and going along and going along. Okay? So if we look at the difference now, I'm going to sort of turn these all over. If we look at the difference between thymus-dependent and thymus-independent, so we've been talking mostly about proteins and easily degradable proteins, right? These are going to be polymeric agents like polysaccharides or nucleic acids, long chains of things. So if we look at the antibody response in a thymus-dependent mode, is it going to be able to happen in the nude mouse? Absolutely not, because the nude mouse has no T cells. We don't need T cells, so yes, those B cells can respond. In a thymus-independent antigen is engaging that B cell. In a T cell depleted animal, clearly it too has no T cells. Doesn't matter over here, we don't need the T cells. So thymus-independent antigens will work. Right? Everything we've talked about, memory B cells, affinity maturation, isotype switching, yes, yes, yes. Right? Check, check, check. Because all these things probably are reliant upon right, different cytokines. So all the cytokines have to be there. And over here, we're not going to make any sort of memory B cells when we come into contact with right, repeating polysaccharides or nucleic acids. Right? We're not going to have any affinity maturation. We're not going to have any isotype switching because right, we've sort of frozen out our friends, the T cells. So we don't need them. Right? Here's this B cell all by itself, right, with immunoglobulin molecules on the surface interacting with right, this long chain. So this B cell is going to become activated all by itself. Right? Thymus-independent responses. Right? I just have to tell you about them because they are out there, but in general, right, that's the one we've been talking about, and that's the major one, thymus-dependent. All right, so actually I should probably sort of move those around. All right, what else do we know about the B cell itself? Well, as I've said before, right, I've said it before, I'll say it again, a lymphocyte is a lymphocyte is a lymphocyte. Right? Things that B cells have, most T cells have, right? except antibody molecules, but in general, okay? So, that membrane immunoglobulin molecule, that B cell receptor, is associated with two proteins. Ig-alpha and Ig-beta, all right? Ig-alpha has nothing to do with, right, the alpha chain of the immunoglobulin, heavy chain has nothing to do with being an IgA, right? It's, again, we're just talking about Greek nomenclature. So these two proteins are very much like CD3. See, the T cell receptor needs CD3 to signal. It needs CD3 to, right? get secondary messengers moving inside the cell. So just like a T lymphocyte needs to have a special signaling molecule, 
a B cell needs a special signaling molecule as well. Right? We need to have Ig alpha and Ig beta on the surface for membrane IgM or membrane IgD to be able to be expressed and, and, and functioning. Ig alpha and Ig beta link receptor to tyrosine kinases inside. Just like CD3, the, different, the, the, the four different uh, chains for CD3, their cytoplasmic domains have those ITAM motifs. Okay? Ig alpha and beta are very similar to the zeta protein of CD3, right, of the T cell receptor. Significant sequence homology and, again, they're immunoglobulin supergene family members. So just like T cell signaling, right, the great B cell also needs to have some signaling. So here's Ig alpha and Ig beta. You can see the ITEM motifs. Right, so they come together in this, in this dimerization. They're in close contact with the B cell receptor. Right? That resting B cell cross-linking takes place. Again, whatever, right, whatever that conformational change, whatever it is that's going to be able to take place, those ITAM sequences are now exposed. Kinases can come in. Signaling can take place. Okay. So just like CD3, the B cell has a signaling receptor. So once these signals take place, we're going to get activation of the B cell itself, right? We're going to be able to see changes happening on the B cell. So within minutes, right, tyrosine kinases will be activated, phosphorylation of phospholipase C, activation of transcription factors eventually. Right? We'll talk more specifically about activation of lymphocytes on Monday. This is sort of stuff you, right, you should be familiar with from, you know, maybe a cell biology class or even a molecular biology class. So these are changes that are going to happen almost instantly, right? a couple within hours. The same way, right, we have this same nice tissue culture set up. We have a dish full of B cells that are all the same, right? We have a homogeneous population of B cells. We add an antigen and we start our stopwatch, right? So we can see these interest, intercellular, in, intercellular changes that are, no, in, no, intercellular changes that are taking place. And then within hours, the size of the B cell is going to be able to increase. We can see the cell cycle starting to turn on. We're going to go from resting to the G1 stage of the cell cycle. We've talked about, right, increased level of MHC class 2 molecules on the surface, increased processing and presentation of antigen, right, because we're getting that B cell is now becoming activated, and increased expression of receptors for those cytokines that are going to be able to, right, be involved with stimulation of the B cell to potentiate the humoral response. So, it probably would take but I would say a month and a half in cell biology to talk about this part. It would probably take another month and a half or so to talk about that part. But, what, we just did it in two minutes. And on Monday, we're going to devote an entire 50 minutes to it. Right? So we'll talk more specifically about T-cell signaling and activation next uh, on Monday. Okay? So, right, when we get this cross-linking takes place, the ITAM motifs are going to become activated. The kinases are now able to bind and we can get all these intracellular changes taking place, and what it's all driving to is right, getting 
transcription factors down here to bind to the DNA to start stimulating gene expression so we can start secreting proteins, so we can start making right, cyclins to move us into the cell cycle. We can start making proteins. We can start making antibody molecules that we need to be able to secrete. Okay? We'll talk more in general on, on Monday. All right, so when we're talking about T cells, oh good, we're talking about T cells and B cells coming together, all right, and the activities that are going to take place between these two, T, the, between the T cell and the B cell, I've kind of been lying to you. I put up these dopey cartoons, right? And what do my cartoons show? My cartoons show, you know, this B cell and this T cell sort of handing out a handshake to each other. Oh, hello, B cell. Hello, T cell. Right? I sort of show these cytokines sort of out there, floating around. Oh, yeah. Well, if this IL-4 and IL-5 and IL-6 come into contact with the B cell, right? Nature isn't this dopey, right? Nature is better than this, right? The ability of these cells to be able to interact with each other and have these potentiation signals be generated right, is a lot better than this. It's been found that we come into intimate contact. So if we're looking at a T helper cell and a B cell, right, we're going to get these conjugate formations going to be able to take place. This ain't happening. Right? This might originally happened, but they're going to get much more involved with each other. They're going to get much more intimate with each other, right? First date, nice handshake, how you doing, right? But then eventually, it's got to get better than that, as in life. So, we're going to end up with very large surface area contacts between these two cells. Now, I'm talking about T helper cells and B cells. But I could easily be talking about MHC, right? Pathog uh, phagocytes and T cells. I could easily be, be talking about, oh, I'm going to do this, right? Cytotoxic T cells and target cells. So any sort of cells that are going to be able to interact with each other, that are going to be able to need to get communication, get help, get, get uh, signals through membrane, uh, yeah, membrane-bound molecules, we're going to get these conjugates are going to be able to form. Large surface area contacts are going to be able to take place. So when you sort of look at right, the ability of these things to take place, these are some transmission electron microscope pictures of B cells and T cells. We're going to get these large areas coming in association with each other, right? Perhaps, right, that very first interaction is this handshake, right? So, if this is a B cell and this is a T cell, you could imagine, I'm not saying this is what we're looking at, but you could imagine there's an MHC class 2 molecule right there and there's a T cell receptor right there, right? And also, right, if this is a, a B cell and, and a T cell, we're talking about sort of humoral responses, there's going to be CD4 interaction right there as well, right? And perhaps MHC class 2 molecule and a T cell receptor here, and an MHC class molecule and a T cell receptor here, but as more and more of these 
interactions are starting to take place, more and more of those accessory molecules on the surface of the B cell and the surface of the T cell, those adhesion molecules that we talked about, right? now we're going to start to see this taking place. Right? It's as if Velcro is there. So that these cells are now coming into really, really close contact with each other, right? Or a zipper is taking place, and we're closing that zipper, and we're locking these two cells right, right in close contact with each other. Okay, we'll talk about why we want to do that in a, in a second. So, the other thing that we can see take place is we can see organelles inside the cells starting to move. Right, so you can imagine microtubules, microfilaments are being activated. We're getting new orientation of those microtubules and microfilaments. And along those microtubules, microfilaments, and other sort of transport proteins inside the cell, things like the Golgi apparatus are starting to move towards where this intimate contact is taking place. Those Golgi apparatus, right, are going to be able to be involved with the release of those molecules themselves. So when we get this release of the cytokines, we're just not leaving it to the right to the to the to the whim of the currents of the lymph fluid. If T cells are out there and they're releasing cytokines, this B cell, right, has been engaged by this specific T cell. It means that this interaction right here right, has taken place. That T cell receptor, right, with its rearranged VDJ and it's in place and the CDR1, CDR2, CDR3, and that antigen that's been properly processed and, prevent and prevented and presented, right, all the things we've been talking about, right, this T cell has now identified this B cell as Right? An important thing that needs to be stimulated because we need plasma cells. Right? We need to have these antibody molecules enter the fray. We need these memory cells so that we can be protected from future interactions with whatever this pathogen that this B cell just found, with whatever this pathogen this macrophage just found. So. Right? We're going to be able, when this T cell releases these cytokines right here, it's going to release them directly, right? in general, directly to that B cell. Because that's the B cell that needs to be stimulated. That B cell is the one. Right? That B cell is Neo. Right? It needs to be stimulated because it's been identified. Right? So we get this directed release of cytokines directed right towards that B cell. Right? We're going to get redistribution of T cell receptors, CD4, LFA1, those adhesion molecules. Right? So we're bringing more, right, because we have all those, right, if we, these are all of our right, sort of uh, proteins inside that are directing organelles along the way. We're going to get more T cells down here. We're going to get more adhesion molecules down here. We are going to basically lock in that conjugate, right, that's, whoops, that's being formed. Right? That's what we're seeing right here. From this first recognition to this, you know, we really got to get going here. This T cell really needs to have that B cell turn into an antibody factory, turn into a memory cell. Right? 
expression of CD40 ligand on the surface of the T cell. Right? Interaction of CD40 on B cells is going to be essential for B cell activation. Right? We said there's a whole bunch of accessory cells, co-signaling co-receptors, that is going to be able to take place so that the signals are going to be able to be transduced to the interior of the B cell and signals going to be transduced to the interior of the T cell, right? Once that T cell recognizes this from, from interacting, this T cell needs to start releasing its cytokine. So the T cell needs to be stimulated as well, right? So CD40 ligand, CD40 is going to be involved with that stimulation. We talked about B7 molecules, right? Other cell surface molecules. We talked about B7. We said that in order to be an antigen-presenting cell, you needed to have B7 on your cell surface. This is why it becomes important right here. Because B7 has to come into contact with CD28, and that's going to be able to, sh to have activation of those T helper cells, right? So these same conjugates are forming right along here, right along the surface of those phagocytes and those T helper cells, CD7, B7, CD28. CD72, CD5 right, are going to be essential for activation of B cells themselves. Right? Just another example of accessory molecules that are going to be activated when these conjugate forms are, are in the process of happening. Right? That B cell needs to be stimulated. Right? So we have right, that the immunological synapse. So as those cytokines are being released, right, so here's our T cell receptor, our MHC molecule, here's our adhesion molecules, here are more microtubules, microfilaments, bringing Golgi down into here. We're rearranging, we're bringing more T cell receptors over here, we're probably bringing more MHC molecules over here. Right? This directed signaling is going to take place between this T cell and this B cell, between this T cell and this macrophage, between this cytotoxic T cell and this target cell. Right? Here, in our example, we're releasing cytokines to stimulate this, if this is a, what am I talking about, if, right? if this is a a, a phagocytic cell, we're releasing these cytokines. We're releasing these cytokines from this T cell to stimulate the B cell, to be able to stimulate the macrophage. On the other hand, if this is a cytotoxic T cell, in this picture it is actually a cytotoxic T cell, right? We are going to be able to release things from this cytotoxic T cell that are going to be able to destroy that target cell. Right? We'll talk more about that next week when we talk about how CD8 cells are going to be able to work. Right? We've been talking a lot about T helper cells. We're going to give some, right, some proper sort of uh, attention to cytotoxic T cells next week. Right? So these B, C, these B cell T cell conjugate, these T cell MHC conjugates, these CD8 positive T cell target cell conjugates, right? even though, right, we're back here to our dopey handshake again. Hello, how are you? Right? It's gonna, it just shows you what needs to be able to take place. So that initial interaction is going to be between that T cell receptor and that MHC molecule. Right? B7 on the surface, CD40 on the surface of that B cell. Going to interact with CD28, CD40 ligand on the surface of the T cell. We're going to get these co-signaling co-receptors now is going to stimulate the T cell to start releasing 
cytokines and, oh, see, I did it again. I put those cytokines sort of looping up and jumping onto that B cell. But when this comes together, those T cells, those cytokines are going to be released directly to that B cell, right? Because we need this B cell to become activated and turn into a plasma cell. We're not going to leave it the chance oh, well, maybe some of those cytokines will eventually bind to the cytokine receptors on the surface of that B cell. Uh-uh. Nature's not that cavalier about it, right? They're going to come right into contact with each other so that those cytokine receptors on the surface of the B cell, those interleukin-4, interleukin-5, interleukin-6 re uh, receptors, can be stimulated directly by that T cell releasing interleukin-4, interleukin-5, and interleukin-6. All right? All those things are going to be able to take place because... Right? All right, this is all sort of dressing. The most important part between all of this taking place is we have to make this happen. We have to coat that bacteria so that the rest of the immune system can recognize it and destroy it. We really need to make this plasma cell. Right? So we have all this interaction taking place. We have all these things are taking place and happening. Right? So, we've been talking about the lymphoid system, we've been talking about the way in which these things are going to be able to take place. Antigen-antibody complex enter the lymph node, right? 90% of any antigen can be filtered and gathered by the lymph node, right? Those antigens are, interact with dendritic cells in the periphery, macrophages, they're going to bring them back, bring those antigens back to those lymph nodes. B's and T's are activated in the paracortex. Right? We talked about the cortex and the medulla. Activated B and T cells migrate to those primary follicles in the cortex, those, those germinal centers. Right? All these things are going to be able to take place. They're all part of the humoral immune response. Okay, that'll do it. Have a good weekend. See you on Monday. <laughs>